Well, amen. Before we jump into this and that and the other, I got to tell you, um, it was pretty amazing to see uh, March for Life rally yesterday. Did anybody get a chance to look that up online yesterday? It was beautiful. Tens of thousands of people uh, coming under one banner to celebrate life in the unborn baby. And we had National Right to Life Sunday, which was last Sunday. That was the official date. Um, this uh, We have um, Rockford Pregnancy Care Center coming out in March. Normally they, they've come either in March or February, but we're going to have that baby bottle campaign to work with the uh, Rockford Pregnancy Care Center. But I think it was absolutely fantastic, the first president of the United States to come to a Right to Life rally. Wasn't that just unbelievable? What a beautiful, beautiful thing in a sight. And it was crazy. I was listening to the interviews. If you get a chance to, there was Republicans and Democrats alike, and they said, we can go under one banner that we can fight for life. I want you to know that the fight for life is a beautiful thing. Less abortions are happening in our nation than ever before in history. And you know why less abortions are happening? Because of the advent of the ultrasound. And mamas realize that those aren't just little cells in there, but these are living human beings. In fact, there's another article out there. Isn't it funny? We use science when we want to use science, don't we? But uh, scientific data shows that within 13 days, an unborn baby can feel pain. 13 days. And I think it's amazing to see young people, old people, understand that this is a huge, huge battle that can be won in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't we pray this morning for that and for that event and for all that's happened there and what's going on and how it's shifting the minds and hearts. That's my prayer, is that young women who are struggling and dealing with these things, yeah, it might be a struggle, might be a fight, but that baby is worth it. Can we all stand together for that? Father, we thank You today for the unborn baby. And thank You, God, that we're all here today because our moms made a choice, a right choice. And God, I pray today for those moms out there that are maybe in a valley of decision and they don't know what to do. They're confused. They're struggling. May they know above all things that God, You are there for them to care for them. And that that beautiful life that's inside of them is not a choice, but it's a call. And Lord, You're calling that mom to care for that baby and to take care of the situation at hand and move them out into something that they've never done before. And God, we thank You for the beauty of the moment yesterday that happened with our nation's leaders, congressmen and young people and old people marching under the banner of life. We thank You for the presence there, God, and the understanding, Lord Jesus, that we were fearfully and we were wonderfully made. And God, we understand the challenge that You've given to us as a church to fight for these little babies. And we thank You, God, for every one of them and for the call that You have on their lives. And the great things that they'll do, the leaders that they will become. In Jesus' name we pray, and we bless that in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You know, I love our Catholic brothers and sisters because if anyone, they're the ones that have had the greatest conviction about this fight. Amen? They're the ones that have kept after that. But what a cool, cool thing. In March, you and I will get the opportunity to fight locally with those families and for those families, the Pregnancy Care Center, as we go after that. But uh, turning gears, much lighter note, Purity Springs. Here we are. This is like 50.7 ounces. This is like almost a half, it was a gallon, half, I don't know. It's crazy. But uh, it's Purity Springs, natural spring water. It's a Canadian spring water. Canadian. That's amazing. So anyways, but we have to have Miss Kylie come up here for a prayer and a blessing. See, we fig I figure when I grab that, I'm like, it's got to be Kylie because can you guys are going to Canada, right? Yeah. See? There we go. Well, why don't you, we're going to pray a blessing over Miss Kylie. And uh, this is a pretty good gal for Hunter, isn't it? <laughs> so we're going to pray for her and bless her in the name of Jesus and, and thank God for your Canadian roots, right? Amen. Lord, I thank You for Kylie. I thank You that You brought her into our life, not just from a church, but a deeply personal thing. You've blessed Hunter with her. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, as You bless her, as You bring her about, as You call her out, Lord, that she can stand upon You and stand upon the promises that You have for her life and the rock and the salvation that is higher than her. 
That when she reaches to you and calls unto you, Lord Jesus, that again you would show her great and mighty things that she doesn't know anything about. God, I thank You for the blessing and the brightness, Lord Jesus, that You've placed over her life. And that You surround her and that You protect her wherever she goes. Lord, there's almost like that angelic force field, God, that You've brought Your angels to protect her and to watch over her, Lord Jesus, and that she won't be harmed, but that she has a bright future. I pray that blessing over her and that she walks after the things of God and that she is very passionate and very determined. And God, I thank You for putting inside of her heart a spiritual stubbornness. Lord, that You've given her a special gift, Lord, that she keeps marching ahead and that she has sets her mind like flint and that she doesn't turn to the left or right, but that she goes straight after You because she's stubborn after the things of God and she will accept none less than the great things that You have for her. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you drink all of that, that would be a miracle. But Kylie, if the rules, you're going to have to drink some of that Canadian water and tell us if it tastes like Canada today. If you have your Bibles... Oh, wait a second. The young people, you guys have to go off to children's church. Yes, that's going to be a beautiful time. If we could have our young people head off. Hi there, you. They're going to have a great, great time down there for you. Acts 27. How many have experienced a shipwreck in your life before? I don't mean a cruise ship. I mean a shipwreck. I think everyone in here, if we were to interview and sit down people of what God brought you through, how many have had God bring you through a real bad shipwreck in your life before? Man, it's amazing what God brings us through. I was reading this week, and uh, I, I was in Acts 27 in my readings. And um, let's start in verse 27. See, you can't really... There's a couple shipwrecks we're going to talk about today. The shipwreck I'm talking about today is something that you can't prevent. In other words, you've done all you know to do and you still end up hanging on to your raft. How many have been there before? So we get into that place in life, but there's also the shipwreck where people shipwreck their faith and they wreck their lives because of the choices and decisions. I want us to focus today on the situation in your life right now that has come at you and there was nothing you could have done to change the outcome of it and how God equips us during this time in our life. So in Acts chapter 27, verse 27, we're going to read about Paul and the shipwreck. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weight line and found that the water was 120 foot deep. But a little later they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. And then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as the day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Isn't it great to have those people in your boat in life? Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke off a piece and ate it, and then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board, after eating, the crew lightened up. Turn to someone and say, you need to lighten up. The ship furthered by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they, dis they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchor and left them in the sea, and then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast. While the stem was repeatedly smashed, our stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves that began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then they ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it to land. Others held onto the planks and debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. 
What a story. I think one of the things, if you have your electronic Bibles or whatever, read this story if you get a chance. Read the story in the message version of the Bible. It's a really neat translation if you have your... Read it in the message version and it really gives it kind of a, a really story synopsis of what happened. But this is a real story. You know when you read your Bible, this is a little side note here, this is real stuff that happened. This isn't fables and fairy tales. This is not for some philosophical views and that kind of stuff to make you feel good about life. This shipwreck, they've actually found Paul's shipwreck. Isn't that crazy? So we have data here. This is historical. This all happened. The details, everything going on there. But Paul said something huge in this shipwreck. That he said, you guys, no one's going to perish on this boat. And I want to tell you through the storms of our life, no one perished. In fact, God says, I have a bright future for your life, even in the middle of your storm and in the middle of your shipwreck. God still has His plans there. You say, where is God right now in the middle of my shipwreck? Let's turn to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. I can't explain to you, by the way, today is not a day of tips on how to get out of your shipwreck. Everybody's looking for the special potion to get away from life's problems. My parents did for a week and they came back to problems. So funny. I said, you guys should have stayed there. <laughs> it was so awesome. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Would someone like to read this loud and proud? Anybody? We're going to do a reader today. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Going once, going twice. Cool. So where is God right now in the middle of this shipwreck? Is He out in heaven somewhere? Is He in the corner? Is He working on someone else? He's going to get back to you? See, darkness and light are the same to God. See, we think when we're in a dark situation, no one can see us there. We're alone. How many felt alone before? Maybe some of you feel alone right now. You're not alone. God is there right in the middle of it. And I can't tell you how you're going to survive, but I do know that you can cling to Christ right now. And that He is as close as the mention of His name. So if you feel alone right now, we all experience those emotions. We experience the onslaught of the enemy. The fiery darts, they come at us. There's no denying it. To say that the Christian faith lacks pain is a lie. Or to say somehow that Christians can avoid pain is a lie. It's a complete denial of life itself. What do you do during these times of complete turmoil and raging seas and uncertainty? Everything you thought you knew has been completely rocked. Can I get an amen? amen. Every one of us has the places in our life and times in our life where everything is rocked. Where nothing makes sense. And we want to make sense of what we're going through, don't we? So it makes us feel better. And we want to attribute the loss to this or to that. And the reality is, in the middle of a shipwreck, it really doesn't matter how you got there, does it? Do you know, when you go fishing, I remember I was watching one of those uh, uh, live PD kind of show kind of things. There was a, they did the outdoor stuff and they were checking boats and he said, hey, do you guys got your life rafts? You have to have two, you know, for every person there, you have to have the wearable one and then you got to have a throwable one on there as well. And when you're on the boat, he was explaining to them the rules. And so when you're out on that boat, if you don't have a life raft, you're stupid. No one plans for a shipwreck, but shipwrecks happen, don't they? Some of the most seasoned men 
out there on the seas right now, the Alaskan crab. I love watching those king crab and them go there. These are real men going after stuff. I'm like, they go out into the middle of that stuff. And they know the 50-foot swells, and they know what it's like. And so these are seasoned guys. But just a few weeks ago, there was a crazy event they had to have a rescue for these guys. And these times, when you're out at sea, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I want you to accept your own smallness right now. Say, what? I thought I was really important. Well, you are, but you're not. Like, thanks, Pastor. <laughs> Remember last week when I read the story of Job and God finally answered Job? And so Job had his problems he was going through and he was registering complaints to God and I do this and I've done this for these people. And how many in the show of hands have, have felt that in their prayer life and you've been there before? We, right? I, I, I've been there. God, I've been doing these things and... See, that, that's that spirit of religion that gets cloaked over us that I'm a good person so I don't need to have these bad things in my life. We're, what? How are you special? You think you avoid this stuff? The white picket fence doesn't stop it, does it? The Labrador Retriever and the picture that you posted on Facebook doesn't stop it! So Job gets a response from God. And basically God said it like this to Job. Job, sit down and act like a man now. Get ready, because I've got questions for you. Do you know that God never once addressed any of Job's problems in that altercation? In that situation, that wrestling with God? How many of you know we need to wrestle with God? We wrestle with God because life doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense, and I need answers, God. You don't have to show your hands, but how many of us are that way with our attitude? God, I need answers. I mean, you've got to give me answers. I deserve this, and I've done this, and I deserve answers, God. Accept your own smallness right now. Accept your own smallness. And what do I mean by that? That He is God and you are not. And that God knows much better than you, and He knows much better than me. He says, Job, where were you when I created this world? Jonathan Martin writes, the primary obstacle of letting go is generally our own inflated opinions of ourselves, that our lives are too important, that too much depends on us, and that the world cannot go on without us. Part of the function of the shipwreck is to show us the truth that was there long before the storm came. We are much smaller and much less important than we think we are. See, we thought the world depended on us. And that the world depends on us. Remember the prophet said, I'm the only one out here, God. And he said, no, 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 I've got hundreds behind you waiting if you don't do what you want to do. Don't worry about it, man. If you choose not to pick this up and go after it, I've I've got other people behind you. I thought I was really, we're self-important. We kind of get into this destiny mode of like every little trip that happens and every little shipwreck that happens in life. If I don't clean it up properly enough, then God can't use me. Let's be honest right now for a moment. How many lives are a mess right now? This writer Jonathan met with this nun, Sister Anne. That's my wife. She's a nun. You didn't know that. He even spelled it right with an E. My wife is a nun. As he was going through a very challenging transition in his life, she said, God sees us as parents would see a two-year-old child. They are sorry when they make a mess, but they are not surprised by it. They hate to see them hurt themselves in some way, but they are not angry at them for that. I want you to catch that about the Father for you. It is also true that our grandest successes, our biggest accomplishments, are like the drawings of a two-year-old. God delights in them only because He delights in us, but they are no more impressive. He just likes that we drew it, but they are still very small and simple to such a great God. 
thought I was important. You know, you are. The very hairs of your head are numbered. God hears the cries of His children. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that where you're at right now isn't important. I'm saying right now we have inflated ourselves to be bigger than what we're supposed to be. I mean, when I was driving around yesterday, it's neat. You know, use nature as your back off yourself and your self-importance. Did you see that weather event that just happened? In just a few short hours, the whole landscape of a state was completely changed. An amazing thing. He goes on to write, I tried to pray a lot that week, often in its most primal forms of letting my very breath become prayer. Mindful, attentive at the peace for the first time in five months. How many need some peace in here today? I would stand at the pier at night and watch the waves roll in and out, knowing they were there long before I got there, and they would continue long after I was gone. Walking through a graveyard on a mountain, I tasted my smallness, in a world where so many people are being born and are dying and do so without me. Looking over the ocean, I saw my own smallness against the horizon. Divine perspective, most of all, relativizes our importance. We are very small creatures. You know, astronomers, when they look out over the expanse of space, they realize how small we are. Do you know how big those snowflakes were the other night? Me and Kelsey had to go run to an errand real quick, and we're running through the parking lot. We stopped for a minute, and Kelsey goes, Look up, Dad. And I looked up. I'm like, These are coming from the heavens. And we, we, we stuck our tongues out, and we were catching it, and Kelsey's like, Dad, we're going to get run over by a car. I'm like, Dude, we're catching snowflakes. They'll stop for us. We're going through the crosswalk, and I'm going, I could just see the headlines now. Man and daughter die getting snowflakes. Don't mess with us. We got snowflakes to catch in our mouth. We're so self-important, aren't we? And it's not that your problems aren't important to God. But man, when you lay before God and lay before the altar of God, you realize how big and mighty He is and how small and minute we are. And that should bring hope to you because of His bigness. We want to bring God into our context and God is wanting to draw us into His context. We want God to quick micromanage our disasters, fix the disaster. Divine perspective most of all, relativizes our importance. We are very, very small creatures. Maybe sometime we declare in the middle of our problem, God, You are God, and I am not. I am not here to provide You answers for Your problems, but I am here to provide You the great answer, which is Jesus Christ. And that He might take you through places that you don't like right now and it might cause you to mature and might grow and you might have dark questions, but as long as you got His hand, He will get you through. Paul was able to have the confidence of saying, guys, if you jump out of that boat and those lifeboats, you're going to die. How many of you have had your escape plan right now? I'm going to get in my lifeboat. I'm out of here. I'm doing this. I'm getting into that. Whether it's business, personal, whatever you want to package it. We're getting our lifeboats out. Getting our lifeboats out. Paul stands up. Thank God for the Pauls in life, right? Amen. You get in those lifeboats right now, no one's going to survive. The ship captain listened to the apostle. Okay? Don't get out right now. You're going to die. Folks, I want to tell you today right now, I know it's easier to jump ship. It's easier to kind of escape. Get away. This is where you cling to Him. He says, he goes on to write, Jonathan uh, Martin writes, a shipwreck has a way of stripping you bare, of exposing your finite smallness against the infinite horizon of a dark sea. Slowly but surely, he says, I was being delivered from my own sense of importance. You know, Scripture tells us don't take yourself too seriously. This is where we cling to Him. Acts 27.10, you don't turn there, but prior to that, 
shipwreck incidents, Paul gave a warning. He said, guys, I believe there is trouble. How many of you knew trouble was coming on the horizon, but you didn't know how the trouble was going to pan out? You know trouble's there, and you have this moment of introspection and reality where you say, trouble's on the horizon. Anybody been there before? Trouble's brewing. Why don't we turn real quick so we cling to Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. This is the part where it is so vitally important during these times. Because i got to tell you, I'll see people go through problems and they run the other direction. They run away from God. And I want to beg people, run to God. Don't run from God right now. He didn't cause this. We forget the context of the battle and the storm that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give life and life in its abundance. If you don't know where the storm came from, can you imagine Jesus praying like us good old Baptists? The storm rages and He's out there with the disciples and He prays like this, Lordest, Thinest, we don't know where the storm comes from, but we pray if it's Your will, Maybe, just maybe, stop the storm. How many would like that kind of praying in your life going on right now? Be still. This is where we cling to our faith. We hold on to Him. 1 Timothy 1.19 Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, my son, hear my instruction for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So now with that clinging part, he is telling Timothy, Timothy, hold on. Keep your conscience clear. In other words, do what you know to do. Do the right things. Stay in step with the Spirit. Don't go away. The prophetic word that was prayed over you about your future, about your call, hold dearly to that. Don't worry about the circumstances going around you. Hold dearly to God with a clear conscience. Turn somewhere who can say, you need to cling to God. Don't you dare give in to the culture around you, basically what was Paul was saying to Timothy. Don't give in to the culture around you. Folks, it's crazy. I, I wrote this down the other day as I was reading and praying. I said it like this. Our acceptance of culture, we reject God. When we accept cultural norms in our life, we in effect reject God's call for our life. So if there's cultural norms going on in you, societal things that you say, that's okay, you're okay, I'm okay, Jesus loves you. Isn't that a cute message? But it's completely insufficient in the totality of what the Gospel's call is. Then why does the Bible tell us to pick up our cross and to follow Him? Why would Paul admonish us to die daily? Why would he tell us to leave the old and get into the new? Why would he say any of this if Jesus just loves everyone and we're just going to do life and we'll fit God into the crevices of whatever time we might have available for Him. Why would any of this be in the Bible? Leviticus 18, we won't turn there, but I was reading there. Isn't it funny when you start to read your Bible, God reveals things to you? I want to tell you something. If you put down the Reader's Digest and open the Bible, your eyes will be opened up. The Lord strictly commanded the children of Israel not to live like the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And the thing that He addresses, it's crazy. Their lifestyle choices and the sexual things that were going on. The perversion. Perversion. Our culture now has completely blessed the sexual lifestyles out there that people choose. The alternative lifestyle. Not only that, we're supposed to endorse it. And Jesus calls him out saying, don't live like the culture. Don't live like the Egyptians. And he goes on to say, verse by verse, line item by line item, don't sleep with your stepmom as one of them. That's a good plan, right? Don't engage in homosexuality. 
Don't offer your children to Molech. They would literally sacrifice their babies, put them into the hands of a burning bull, and they would rise up the stench and it would bring peace to their, place, to their people. Do you think maybe for a moment that we're offering our children to Molech with abortion? Come on now, we're not having happy time anymore, are we? Bless me, God. Shipwrecking our faith because they went against their own conscience. He declares to them, Be holy, for I am holy. How about the New Testament pattern? Oh, there's plenty there. How about the Bible calling us to be a kingdom of priests? A holy nation set apart. He said, be in the world, but not of the world. That He said this, those of you who love the world don't love Me. Let's turn to Jude 1.4 because I think we're ignorant of the Scripture and that's why we stand on the things we stand on culturally with the norms of the day. Do you know someone just literally got kicked out of college class because he said there's only two sexes, male and female. The professor kicked him out of the class because he said there's only a male and only a female. Isn't it funny how science works until it doesn't fit into the cultural conversation? That the world will use science against the church saying, how can you believe? Yeah, I absolutely believe in Jesus. He was a historical figure that died on the cross. There's evidence of all of this. We have documentation and witness after witness. And now you're not going to use science for children that are going through gender dysphoria and telling them that they can be whatever they want to be? We are in a crazy world now, folks. And it really is an affront to God when you dig deep behind of all this. The Bible says not only that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you were made in the image of God. So it's an affront on the very call that God has for your life. So when you were created as a little girl or a little boy, God put all of those things in you. Do you know you can never become a boy or never become a girl? It doesn't work. You be what God called you to be. And if you're struggling through things in your life, that's fine. How many have a few struggles going on right now? If you're struggling through things, it's okay. Get through it. And there are people that want to fight with you and go for the things of God. But let's fight through it. Let's read Jude and see how specific he gets in his life. The danger of false teachers. And this is where I believe the church is. And this is why we find ourselves marooned and shipwrecked many times. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith. Oh, we're supposed to defend the faith? That God has entrusted once for all time to His holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but He later destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them secretly chained, securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of eternal fire of God's judgment. And these ways, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Wow! Can that get any clearer? Wait, the marvelous grace of God? Has anybody noticed in the church at large that these hucksters, these wolves in sheep clothing, have come onto the stage 
And they said God's grace is great for anyone. You can live how you want to live. How many have heard a little bit of that before? See, when you read the Scripture you want to read, that's fine. But that's extremely ignorant. And when you rightly divide the word of truth and say, God, am I living according to the ways of culture and culture norms? Or am I living accordance to your word? Am I defending the faith? Am I a holy person that's going after the things of God? Do you know what he says in that word? He is so, so crazy to say this word. He said, Master. Master. Jesus is my master. You know the word master, it means despotis. The word signifies owner, master. The word has this absolute dominion and supreme authority. Despotis includes total submission on our part to God's will. So the idea for us, even through shipwreck and through life and the decisions that we make, requires that you and I say, God, you are Lord and you are master of my life. I am completely obedient to your call for me. But if you're choosing not to wrestle with the things of God and you keep living your life in full view of the Word of God and go against your own conscience and the God-given truth in the Bible, then you're completely out of line and I'm completely out of line. My fear is that we've made a custom version of the Gospel for ourselves to fit our lifestyle choices. That we aren't submitting our lives to the Master. Instead, we make ourselves the Master of our own decisions and our choices. Folks, you are not the Master of your own domain. God is. You are not the Master in the final say in your own life and the will of God for you. God is. You might think you can manipulate this and manipulate that, but how many of you know God will shut doors as well as open them? And if we choose to shipwreck our faith on this sloppy love without any call to it, without any substance, we can say love, 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 love all day till we're blue in the face. But it is, if it's not a God love, then it's nothing at all. If it's a fleshly love, it's nothing at all. The only kind of love that's of any value from a biblical standpoint is the agape love. G.K. Chesterton wrote, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Just open-minded. You're not open-minded, Pastor. Oh, I am completely open-minded. You know what I'm open-minded to? Show me from Scripture your decisions you're making. If it backs up with this word, you and I are in agreement. But to think that I have to agree with people completely going the opposite direction? No, sir, no, ma'am. Cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If this is an imagination that is not lining up with the Word of God, I don't care how you pedal it, how you spray it with perfume, how you prick it up, whatever you want to do with it to make it look fluffy nice. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it doesn't work at all with me. Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out! You Christians are closed-minded. No, 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 no. I'm extremely open-minded to the things that God has for my life. But I will not let anybody infuse junk and information that does not line up with His Word. And if that means you're going to call me a racist, a homophobe, whatever you want to call me, you go right ahead. But I am not going according to the culture of the world. I am going according to the culture of Jesus Christ. My kingdom's not of this world. And we live in a free society. Choose whatever you want. If you want to marry a tree or a dolphin, you go right ahead. Have fun. If you're an adult and your brain has somehow fallen out and you feel the dolphin gives you that sense of value, you go run to the dolphin. But don't attach the Bible to it. And don't ask me to bless your choice. I thought we were going to have fun today. See, it is fun. Because the truth is enlightening and the truth does hurt us. And God says He cuts us and He cuts to the bone and marrow. And we get beyond all these pleasantries. And, you know, the, the fact that the church can't speak to these issues, what a bunch of hogwash, right? I mean, these issues should be our issues. Not a politician. The politicians are bozos anyway. How many think a few politicians out there are kind of bozos? I'm not looking for a politician to agree with me. 
Thank God for the William Wilberforces in life. And the Martin Luther King Juniors. People who stood up. Martin Luther who said, what's going on in the church? We've got to stop this. You know, read the history of the church and what happened and how these hucksters have come into the church. I remember when they, were, they finally found Bibles and one of the priests came to the lead priest and he said, I found the Scripture. And he said, either the Scripture's crazy or we're completely nuts and we're out of line. Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out, Christian. Be warned, Christian. Let me staple this to you and to me. Be warned, Christian. You and I are to be different. Salt and light. Salt does two things, as you know. It brings flavor. How many put salt on your mashed potatoes the other night? But it also brings healing, and it kind of hurts when that salt goes on the wound, doesn't it? But it sanitizes. Do not love the world. And if you do love the world right now, you know, it's really quick. Say, God, I have fallen in love with some of these things of the world. I found a different kind of love and I found a different kind of counsel. I'm going after these little Gospels in my life, and it's not the Gospel at all. And so many people have given up in the middle of the fight. They shipwreck their faith. And here's what they do. They blame God for all their problems, don't they? Many people have shipwrecked their faith, and they say, God didn't come through. God wasn't faithful to me. I had this go on and that go on. You can have peace in the middle of the storm facing the shipwrecks of life. And here's a beautiful thing that can happen right now for you and me. Do you know the Bible says a very powerful word and that word is shalom. Everyone say shalom. Shalom means this. It's wholeness. It's balance. It's well-being. It's safety. It's prosperity. That's shalom. So shalom is not a well-raked yard and you singing kumbaya or at a nail salon and getting a back massage. That is not shalom, okay? See, many people go, man, I just need to get to the salon, do this, and I just need to get my place of peace. Man, if you need the nail salon in the middle of a shipwreck, how many people are asking for the nail salon when they're in the shipwreck? Say that really fast. Nail salon and shipwreck. No. But you're not asking for the nail salon on a shipwreck. If I just had my me time. Turn to someone and say, I need me time. Me time. It's, it's something that happens. Turn real quick to Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can I get an amen there? Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. I think a lot of us get to a place in life where we ask God for what we need or what we think we need, but we forget the other part with a comma and thank Him for what He's done. So I want you to say, yeah, God, I need this and I need that and God will honor that and God will bless you. God will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, 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 yes. But in the middle of that shipwreck, you thank God for what He's done. That you're breathing and that you're alive and that He's caring for you and that you have food and you have shelter and you have clothing and God is caring for you and He is making sure to be attentive to the needs of His people. But thank God for what He's done. Mark Sayers writes, Paul was describing a holy peace, a divine gift of shalom that is greater and more wonderful than the human mind can understand. When we follow Christ, Paul says, the shalom peace, the heavenly wholeness, will guard our hearts and minds. By the way, in the middle of that shipwreck, where is God and what's going to happen? Don't worry that all your questions may not be answered. Do you know you will have and me will have questions that will never be answered this side of eternity? How many got some questions for God when you get to heaven? 
I think it's kind of funny. We have these questions and God, what about this and how did that work? I think when we get to heaven, we will have the majority of it figured out. We're like, ah, we'll have that. <laughs> the, the heaven, like, man, why was I so concerned down here? I'm in heaven. This is crazy. One moment, I'm on my deathbed. The next minute, I'm with Jesus. What's so bad about all this? We will be so enraptured with the love of God in His presence. Folks, I think there will be such completeness and all of that will fade away. Don't worry about the questions that may not be answered. Here's a crazy time that we're at though. Not to make light of it, but Richard Foster writes, this is no more planetive or heartfelt prayer than the cry of Jesus. Remember Jesus prayed this, folks, and I was kind of in a bed of tears thinking about this concept. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed that. Jesus' experience on the cross was, of course, utterly unique and unrepeatable. For He was taking into Himself the sin of the world. But in our own way, you and I will pray this prayer of the forsaken. Times of seeming desertion and absence and abandonment appear to be universal among those who have walked the path of faith before us. We might just as well get used to the idea that sooner or later, we too will know what it means to be forsaken by God. He goes on to say, the old writer spoke of this reality as Deus Abascitus, the God who is hidden. We do everything we know. We pray, and we serve, and we worship, and we live faithfully as we can, and still there's nothing, there's nothing. Anybody been there? George Butrick says, we feel like we are beating on heaven's door with bruised knuckles in the dark. I want you to know that in spite of how you feel and perceive things, God never leaves us and He never forsakes us. And He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Richard, Richard Foster writes, there are times when He withdraws our consciousness of His presence. Turn real quick to Psalm 22, verse 2. This is not the fun part of the message, but it gives us kind of an understanding of the cross. It gives us an understanding of what we have to go through. Psalm 22, verse 2. It says, Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. St. John of the Cross named the season the dark night of the soul. Think of Moses, Richard Foster writes, exiled from Egypt's splendor, waiting year after year, silent for God to deliver His people. Think of the psalmist's cry, Why have you forsaken me? Think of Elijah in a desolate cave, keeping a lonely vigil over wind and earthquake and fire. Think of Jeremiah being lowered down into a dungeon well until he sank into the mire. Think of Mary's solitary vigil at Golgotha. George Fox said during the season of his life, When it was day, I wished for night. And when it was night... I wished for day. Pretty crazy shipwrecks are, aren't they? You get up in the morning, it's pretty hard to put the chipper, chipper view together, isn't it? You go to bed at night and you lie awake at night wondering how this is all going to play out. When you're forced into the withering winds of God's hiddenness, it does not mean that God is displeased with you. I want you to catch this, dear saint. Or that you're insensitive to the works of God's Spirit. Or that you've committed some horrendous offense against heaven. Or that something is wrong with you or anything. Darkness is a definite experience with prayer. And it's to be expected. And it's to embrace. To be embraced. I heard one pastor say this. Maybe God speaks to you today. And maybe He doesn't. But it doesn't make God any less. So maybe God right now walks with you, walks you through things, and maybe He tells you things. How many have had those seasons where you felt like God's just right there with you? You're driving around, God's there, it's just a great time. But how many have had those seasons too where that dark night of the soul where you say, man, where is God? Know this, dear one, that it's not because you did something wrong. 
We cling to God during these times. Remember the man born blind? And all the disciples wanted to figure out why this man was born blind. He said it wasn't because of his parents or any of this. We always do that. We're like, well, what's the parent situation? Let's get the counseling thing out. Okay, what did you do? Your parents didn't hug you when you were nine. Okay, that's a good, okay, good here. Didn't happen because of the parents. It happened because I, he's gonna, God's going to get glory through this. How many of you know God turns your stumbling blocks into stepping stones? There is life after this event. There is life after this situation. And by the way, turn real quick to John 21. There is life after you give up. Say, man, I gave up. Maybe you're in a season in your life right now where you just say, I give up. God is the God of 42 million chances. Can I get an amen there? God is the God of 49 million chances. He's the God that will give you opportunity after opportunity. You think about Peter, and he has denied Christ. He's gone through this. He's done exactly like... Um, um, he's done exactly like many other people have. He gets away. He curses God's name even. He said, I don't even know this guy. Who are you talking about? He's at the fire. He's completely fallen flat on his face. He says to the guys, guys, I'm done with this. I'm going fishing. How many have said that before? I'm going fishing. I've said that many of times. I'm going fishing. John 21, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples in the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Everyone say, I'm going fishing. We've come too, they all said. So they went out of the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? I love that. No, they replied. And then he said, Throw out your net on the right hand of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed for the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over the charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were about 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come have some breakfast. Jesus addresses Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Well, Peter loved him so much that he wanted to see Jesus that he jumped out of the boat to see him. He didn't care how many fish were in there or how much money they could have brought in from that catch. He was more important with Jesus than anything else. Folks, I want to tell you that if you have quit spiritually in your life, God always allows in His beautiful grace and mercy and love to start over. If you've quit and if you've given up, you can start over again. Please know this today. You can start over again. You failed last week, so what? Isn't it neat that Jesus didn't address every point that Peter went through? You know, Peter denied Christ three times. Now, he got the whole love thing three times, but he didn't go back and say, well, Peter, why didn't you do this? And why did you do that there? He didn't ask a bunch of questions. He just asked the one simple question. Peter, do you love me? Folks, with all the minutiae that you go through in life, if you can just come to God and say, God, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I've been rebellious. I've gone my own way. God, I love you. Even if it's not this moment where doves are coming from the sky and you see rainbows, folks, God honors the penitent heart. There's life after giving up. Mark 8.35 says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel, for the gospel will save it. So you give your life to Christ. Even though you lose it, you'll gain it. Even though a grain of wheat, when it falls to the ground, it raises up. It does wonderful things. Folks, when you are hidden in Christ, you can do great things for Him. There is life after you give your life to Christ. You will never be what you are meant to be without Him. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing... Folks, you might have a shipwreck, and if you could close your eyes for a moment with me today. I want you to think of your situation. Maybe you've been thinking about your situation this whole time here. 
Maybe you've been kind of placing your story in the middle of that shipwreck story like Paul. Paul knew trouble was on the way. And the storms hit. It was not a good time to be on the boats. And yet, he found himself in a boat. And he said, no one's going to die. But just stay in the boat. I want you to know today that you might not get all your questions answered. The where, what, why, how, when. All of those. But you can leave here today with a full assurance that Jesus Christ, He's the captain. He's the ship captain of your life. And that He's going to get you through the storms. Whether you're holding on a life raft or if you're in a nice cruise boat, what does it matter? You got to the island. And you're safe. Today, first and foremost, if you're in a position where you say, you know what, I don't know where my life has gone. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't have that assurance right now of where I will spend eternity. I don't have that. I don't have the answers to that. I want to tell you today, if there's one thing you can definitely have the answer of today, it's that. You can be assured in the salvation that Christ has provided for you by His death on the cross. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, you know what, I want to know Him, you might have known a religious version of Him, but you want to know Christ today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Next thing is this. Dear brother and sister, maybe you're looking for specific answers. How to work this and how to do that. I think God will give you wisdom, absolutely, but you might not have the definitive answer. All you know to do right now is to get one foot in front of the other and work through the situation. Maybe right now you just simply hang on. But I do know that this, that during the time of the shipwreck, you really find out what you need and what you don't need, don't you? And Right now you need one thing, and that assurance is that Jesus is with you. If right now you say, you know what, I'm going to let go of these things in my mind and become aware of God's bigness in my life and that He's going to take care of this. If you say, you know what, that's what I'm clinging to right now. I want to pray with you through this shipwreck of your life and say that God is right there and that you can cling to Him, your hope and your salvation. Today, if that's you, I just want to pray and stand with you during that shipwreck, if that's you. Anyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are here right now. I thank you that during this dark night you can still see what's going on. And that you know me. You know my thoughts. You know my coming. You know my going. Where can I go from your presence? I thank you, God, that today you're a big God. And you handle all my situations. All my problems. And I thank you, God, that I can trust you. I give you me right now. All the stuff. All the questions. Everything. I give to you. Thank you that I'm going to get through this. And I will arise better from this and victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, you can begin again. And that shipwreck is a pretty messy place to be right now. I don't deny it at all. But you're going to get through this. Don't give up today. Get through today. Amen? When that alarm clock goes up, let's focus on tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> but we get through today. Amen? I love you guys so much. Uh, by the way, just a funny little thing, just be in prayer. Should I share? Yeah, should I share? The, okay, cool. So, um, we, uh, Sean was over here the other day, and uh, he called me yesterday, and uh, he said, Steve, you're missing an air conditioner. And I go, really? And he sends me a picture, and somebody stole our air conditioner. <laughs> so, uh, you have to laugh at that stuff. Speaking of shipwrecks, no, I'm just kidding. 
but uh, somebody took the whole unit. They literally disassembled it. And I know, I know if people know that goes on around here, but uh, we've been in this building for 12 years and we've never even had so much as a broken window or broken end. We've never had an issue. But I, got, I filed a non-emergency police report for it, but we're going to have to come up with a plan of attack for that. So the insurance adjuster is coming out Tuesday. Be in prayer for that. Um, we're going to have to probably put it in a cage that a lot of commercial and churches now are actually putting in a cage. But as you know, locks keep an honest man honest. So we, we just, just be in prayer protection over the church and, uh, and, and, and God work through that. But if you want to, we're doing show and tell over there. But they left, they left a couple things. They left the air, the condenser unit, but they took all the coils and the whole, they literally just disassembled it and it is gone. So, but, uh, I have to, we have to laugh at this, right, Rod? So, so, but I just want to pray and, uh, and just pray for this week for all of us with the situations we face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. I, we, and we've got to pray for Steve. Kiki told me that uh, Steve right now is really dealing with a ton, a ton of pain in the knee. And it's more, it has to do with a meniscus, correct? So he's, he is in so much pain, they even had pain, pain pills for him and those aren't working. So he's not sleeping or anything. So we need to pray for that. Well, since we're on this cord here, is there anything else we need to pray for? Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, amen. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. That's been a long road. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's your sister's name again? I'm sorry, Carrie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Anyone else? It's a good time. The prayers. For the effectual prayer of righteous man and woman avails much. Amen. Yeah. All the students. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Interject, by the way, if I don't get all these things in here, we're going to make sure you interrupt my prayer if I forget something, please. Lord, we just thank you today that we can come together as a body of Christ and to celebrate and to build each other up in our holy faith. Lord, pray for Lauren right now with this test. Lord, we thank you for placing her where she is at. And that, God, the beautiful career and calling that you've given to her and this gift. Lord, I pray that you'd quicken her mind to remember those things that, God, she's been studying and applying herself to. And, Father, just give her supernatural strength. Lord, we just uh, pray for Karen right now. Is it Karen or Carrie? Karen. Karen. Uh, Lord, we just, Carrie, we pray for Carrie right now. Forgive me. Lord, we pray uh, this biopsy and everything that's going on with that behind her eye, all the stuff that's going on. Jesus, we thank you that you're her healer and we pray, God, for healing for her life. And we pray that you bless her in Jesus' name and that you would take care of her and that um, you'd be watchful over everything as you guide the doctors and the situations there, that you would bring quick answers, Lord, and a quick situation to be resolved there, God, and a mighty, mighty miracle there. Lord, we pray for all the children in these schools, the public schools, the private schools, home schools, all these kids, their special callings that you've given to them. God, I thank you for teachers here even among us. And God, I pray that you'd bless them and that you'd work in their lives. And Lord, that you would break through into these schools, and that you'd bring light into a dark world. And God, these young people, who maybe their lives weigh in the balance mentally with them, God, I pray that you give them the right minds. That you speak into their hearts and you tell them that they've got other solutions and that you have the solution to their problems. That God, even when they feel like they're overwhelmed with things and situations, God, I think you are higher than us. And that we can reach to you and you reach to us. We thank you for that blessing. Is it, and is it Tom, Marge, Joe? Joe, I'm sorry. We pray for Joe right now. He's lost his wife. We pray you give him strength. You're the God of all comfort. We pray for that situation there, Lord Jesus. I thank you that right now she is celebrating with you. But God, I pray for Tom in this grieving time. Lord, I thank you that you put Marge 
and Roger and their lives and his life. That they could just be together through this season and this time. Lord, we just thank you for all you're doing in our church. God, even the stupid situation that happened out there, God, we thank you, God, that you worked through that and the practical solutions to that and figuring those things out. We pray protection over this church, over the body. And God, we thank you that you get the final laugh in those things and that you take care of these things. You take care of us and you provide for all of our needs according to your riches and glory, that you take care of us. We thank you for today. We pray for Steve right now. Help him with his knee. God, I pray that you touch and heal that, Lord. It's not going to be a few more weeks till that surgery, but God, we pray that you do something creative even before that. God, that you would touch him and that you'd heal him, that you'd draw that pain out. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Amen, folks. What a cool time we could pray together. Love you so much. Have a wonderful week and uh, enjoy some great treats out there.